uh, called Entrusted. Uh, this is the third and final week of this series where we're kind of looking at what God has entrusted us with. And if you're unfamiliar with that term, entrusted is just a really fancy way to say something that has been put under our care, that we're responsible for, and we've been asked to protect. And when Aaron uh, kicked this off a couple of weeks ago, the first story that came to my head, uh, or kind of the first thought that came into my mind was, I don't know if it was five or six years ago, uh, my wife and I uh, had a, a person that I work with, uh, kind of a client of mine, say, hey, we're going out of town for that, basically the majority of the summer, and we have this boat. And because we're going out of town, we're not going to use this boat. It was this big pontoon boat. And they're like, hey, do you want to use the boat while we're gone? And I was like, oh, no, that's totally fine. You know, thinking they were kind of like joking. And they're like, no, 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 seriously, like nobody's going to use it. We would love for you to use this boat. And for anybody that lives where we used to live in Fox Meadow, uh, you probably remember this summer because we lived in not a very big house, not a very big driveway. And if you've ever seen a pontoon on a trailer, it's not exactly small, right? They sit really high. They look really big when they're out of the water. And so this pontoon was in my driveway. It was my driveway for the better part of a summer. And so we had this boat. And I was super excited about it because the best boat is somebody else's boat. We all know that, right? It's, you don't want to have your own boat. It stands for bank on another thousand. We all, you know, we're all Minnesotans. We get this. They're expensive to have. So I had somebody else's boat. And it wasn't a brand new pontoon. It was probably literally 15 or 16 years old. But you would have never known that looking at this boat. <laughs> it looked brand new. Brand new. Like they had never used it. But they used it all the time. They just really, really cared for it. Now, do the math. I got two kids, 11 and 8. Back that up about five or six years. They're not very old. We start to use the boat. The boat starts to look like it's actually been used. <laughs> in fact, <clears throat> one time when we were out in the water, I'm pulling up the anchor, and the anchor uh, decided to come up right next to the boat, and on the way up the side of the boat, it scratched the boat. First scratch on this 16-year-old pontoon is from us and these people are out of town while we're using their boat. Then, and was probably the most eventful day I've ever had on the water, I won't get into the story of what happened when we were on the boat dock, but we've all, if you've ever been to a boat dock and stuck around and watched what happens at boat docks, it is far more entertaining than anything that happens at the State Fair, the Renaissance Festival, or anywhere else, the Mall of America, you can go to watch people. The boat dock, just grab a Coke, Diet Coke, a chair, and go hang out at a dock on Lake Minnetonka someday. It is the best entertainment. We were that entertainment <laughs> this day on Lake Minnetonka. And I won't get into all the details because, quite frankly, of what my then probably four-year-old son was screaming at that dock is not church appropriate, although he was four and he didn't know what he was saying. We were high entertainment. Well, then we finally get this boat in the water. It took absolutely forever. Now it's time to come off the water. Well, water was down, shallow, big pontoon. Can't get this pontoon back onto the trailer that we couldn't get it off of when we got to the, to the uh, lake, and I finally get it close enough. I'm cranking on the wench, and snap, it breaks. How can it, it's like a seatbelt. It's like a bigger than a seatbelt. How does that, I don't get how that breaks, but of course it broke. The next day, the people that we were borrowing this boat from called and said, hey, we're back in town. Want to bring the boat back? And I'm like, oh my gosh. They have entrusted me with this boat. And so I'm like freaking out. And I'm talking to my wife, like, what do we do? I got to find a way to replace this wench or whatever that thing is called that you cranked onto the front of the boat. Um, 
And I don't know how to look at, do it quickly. I don't want them to, like, if we just get a brand new one on there, they'll never know. They'll have to tell them, you know, because it's all the same. And I'd rather just not go into the story. Of course, the scratch I had to divulge, like it's a scratch. Uh, we had to shampoo the carpets of this boat because I have kids. We did that. Uh, and so I was trying to figure out how to handle this. But it was such a stressful situation. I was like, I'm just going to write them a check for the damages before they even have to ask. Because that just seems like it's going to, you know. And I was like, but they'll ne- they're super nice people. Uh, they'll probably won't even take the check, but I got an offer, and uh, they took the check and they cashed it. <laughs> so, um, but they had entrusted me with it, and what I realized the whole time I had the boat is, at first I was like, ah, oh, this is awesome, it's not mine, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, actually, this is more stressful, because it's not mine, right? You ever borrow somebody, something of somebody else's, and you're, it's like this daunting feeling of like, ah, oh, I got to treat it i got to treat it better than I would my own because this doesn't belong to me. Um, that's what we're talking about in this series, and that's what we talked about in week one when Aaron was talking really about your time, right, and what God has entrusted us with and what you can say yes and no to, and then boundaries, setting boundaries in your life last week. That boat really drives home this idea of what we're entrusted with. In fact, I would argue everything that we have in our lives, God has entrusted us with. Our time, our talents, our energies, our monies, everything. In fact, we just had this conversation in our household. Um, I love my boys, but they're boys, right? And they're brothers. And your brother's your best friend and your worst enemy all at the exact same time, right? And the word mine gets thrown around my house an awful lot. That's mine, that's mine, that's mine. And there was this, there was a little crescendo uh, of the mine movement in my house last week, to which uh, I was trying to drive this point into my kids' heads. Nothing is yours. None of it's yours. In fact, I took the dad stance of technically it's mine. I bought it. (laughs) Right? My boys are shaking their head. But it's not mine either. None of it's ours. And I was trying to get this point across to my boys. So today, we're going to look at one of the things that God has entrusted us with that's not ours. And because I'm a guest speaker and I'm not the head pastor, I figured we just take one of the lighthearted topics in Scripture because I don't work here. Um, We're going to talk about money. (laughs) Don't leave. It won't be too bad. If you're listening online, I promise this isn't a money grab. It's not all about giving. But the Bible does have a lot to say about this. And it affects really every area of our lives, if you think about it. And so having the conversation of, well, what does the Bible say? If the money that I have isn't mine and it belongs to God, what am I supposed to do with it? (laughs) What does scripture say about money? Well, like I said, it says a lot. In fact, uh, it's all throughout scripture. You can go back into the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote. It's there. You can look throughout the New Testament or the Old Testament. I would argue that the first financial advisor that ever existed was probably Solomon. I read Proverbs. He's basically a certified financial planner, it almost sounds like. You could kind of build your entire financial plan out of that book. Uh, and Jesus talks about it a lot. There's, whatever there is, 39, 40 parables that Jesus gives. Of those, I think 11 of them reference money. In fact, it's talked about more than, Jesus talks about it more than both heaven and hell. So it's, it's all over, right? That said, I think the Bible actually has a financial plan kind of laid out for you, um, which makes sense given how much we 
interact with it. That God wouldn't put us in a situation where money kind of drives a lot of the decisions that we make in life and not give us some sort of book or rules or thoughts on how to interact with it. So that's what I'm going to go through today. (laughs) What is God's kind of financial plan for your life? What does it look like to interact with money? So whether you're young uh, and in college and sitting in here or listening and working towards the idea of having money because you're on your parents' money right now, Um, or maybe you've had a job in high school. A lot of the high schoolers that I've worked with over the years in our youth group have had jobs, and so they've interacted with money. Or you're in your working years, and you go to work almost every day of the week to try to earn money so that you can live and eat and, and provide for your family and do all the things. Or you're retired, and you're trying to live on any of the monies that you've saved. The bottom line is we all interact with it really every single day. And so that said, there's kind of five things that I want to go through. When it when we kind of look at and break down this financial plan that the the Bible has laid out for us. And the first one is to remember that God is the source of your money. That God is the source of your money. It's not you. You're not the source of your money. It's not your job. It's not your savings account. It's God. God has given you the talents or the energy or the effort to be able to work. And so if you have a job, it's because God is in gift has gifted you the ability to do so. I think about this a lot when it comes to where we live and the opportunities that we have with where we live. And the fact that there are so many jobs available to us and so many opportunities available to us, that's a gift that we have that God has given us. And he wants us to use that gift. In Deuteronomy, there's a lot of scripture here, by the way. And this could be because I'm uncomfortable talking to you about money, so I just thought I'd let the Bible say what the Bible's supposed to say and I don't have to interject a whole lot. So there's a lot of scripture here. So if you are a pen and paper person or phone make, you know, phone person where you take notes, um, I would just write these down because we're not going to go through them ad nauseum. But I just want to help you understand that when you start in the Old Testament, get all the way through the end, there's a lot to be said. So starting uh, in Deuteronomy 8.18, it says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to his ancestors as it is today. It's God who gives you the ability to do what you do. Paul, in Romans, New Testament now, says that all things come from God. Romans 11.36 says, For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him and forever. Comes from him, exists because of him, and is for his glory. Every dollar you have is entrusted to you the same way that boat was entrusted to you. To me. Integrity. In, in Luke, uh, in one of the parables that where Jesus talks about money, I don't have a slide for this one, so if you're in the booth, don't freak out. This one's not up there. Um, he says this. It's, it's in the parable of, of the shrewd manager. It says, if you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But you, if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be dishonest. You won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? It all comes from God. It exists because of God. And when given to us and entrusted to us, remember those three words, entrusted? It's under our care. It's our responsibility to take care of it. And it's for our protection that we need to have integrity when it comes to what God has given us. And so this goes back to the exact same conversation I was having with my boys last week. If you 
in a practical sense, there's five things here that I think God kind of lays out for us with a financial plan. My goal is to give you kind of a practical piece of advice at the end of all five things. And so with number one being that it's God being the source, not you, my practical advice is to do exactly what I told my kids to do last week and replace the word mine or ours with God's. Wouldn't it feel a lot different if you really viewed everything you have that way? This isn't my house, it's God's house. This isn't my car, it's God's car. This isn't my wallet, it's God's wallet. And can, if you could really, on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis, ingrain in your head that everything you have is his, and eventually he might come calling for it, just like when they called me and they're like, hey, we're back in town, surprise, I want the boat back. I'm like, <gasps> I'm going over in my head like everything I did to the boat. And I'm like, ah, did I, was I faithful with it? Did I do what they wanted me to do with it? Are they going to feel good about the fact that they lent me and entrusted me with this thing? If day by day we can lock in that this is not mine. It's not mine. We love that word, by the way. We learn it as a little kid. It gets ingrained. And then it stays. It's not yours. Everything you have, everything I have, is God's. And he may come calling for it at any time. This could be money. This could be your home. This could be somebody needing to borrow anything of yours that God wants to use for the purposes of the kingdom. We've all had situations in life where people come and ask you for things. And if you know me at all, and I've brought this up here before, I'm very OCD about my stuff. Kind of, it's borderline problem. And so I know people cringe sometimes when they think, ah, I'm going to ask Brad to borrow that because they think, ah, he takes really good care of his stuff and I don't want to be the person that, that wrecks it, which is really sad. <laughs> That's not good, by the way. I'm not saying this because it's a good thing about me. It's sad to think that somebody wouldn't come to me because they're scared they're going to not treat my stuff the way that I treat my stuff. Because at the end of the day, it's not mine. So the practical piece of advice in the first kind of Five things of, of the financial plan is replace the word mine or ours with this is God's. The second piece that the Bible talks about in our financial plan is to give. Honor God first. Now, let me point a couple things out here because we're going to talk about giving and standing up here is not, you know, a pastor in the church. This is a tough topic, right? Uh, it's a sensitive topic. Not a lot of people like when giving is talked about uh, from stage. But let me just tell you this for what it's worth. Uh, I don't work here. <laughs> I don't have a dog in the race, okay? This doesn't affect my paycheck. I'm not on staff. I, 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 nothing, right? So this, there is no selfish desire here for me to get you to give. But I'm going to tell you what Scripture says about it. Because honoring God first, when it comes to giving, that's what Scripture says. It should be your firsts. Now, the Bible doesn't just say that with money, Right? The Bible talks about we should honor God with our first fruit of everything we have, our time, our energy, our efforts, our talents, our monies. And we should put God first in all areas of our lives. Our marriages, put God in front of our, you know, first in our marriage. Put God first when we're raising our kids. Put God first when we're getting up and giving him the first fruits of our time and our day and doing devotions and spending time with him in the mornings. It's the same thing with money. The first thing you should do when you look at your picture, whether you have a lot or you have a little, is figure out where does God fit into this first? And what do I need to give back to him? What was his to begin with that he gave to me as a gift? 
What, why, where, and when? What should you give? Why should you? Where should you? And when? What? Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, money, with the first fruits of all of your crops, and then your barns will be filled with overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, we're going to quote Proverbs a lot. <laughs> Proverbs is, if you're unfamiliar, uh, it was written by Solomon. Uh, there are 12 people in Scripture that were deemed wise. The word wise was used when describing these people. Twelve. Not a lot. Solomon is one of them. Okay, Solomon wrote Proverbs, and it's, a, it's the wisdom book. He's just trying to teach people how to live their lives wisely. And it talks a lot about money. And so we're going to quote it a lot, but understand, that's why I joke around, I think he's like, you know, the first ever certified financial planner, because it just seems like in Proverbs, he kind of lays out this financial plan for people, okay? We're going to quote Jesus, one of the 12, as you'd probably imagine, that's considered wise. Solomon was one of them. Paul was one of them. We're going to quote Paul. Uh, so a lot of wisdom around money. But what are you supposed to give? You're supposed to give your first fruits. Why? Why are you supposed to give your first fruits? Because in Deuteronomy, it says, doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Now, I'm not going to talk about tithing, and I don't want to get into, you know, all the, what could be a legalistic view on giving, because I don't know why it's, I don't know why it's 10%. I have no idea why the way that God has called us to give is, is what it is, and I'm not going to pretend to understand that. I don't know why he didn't pick a different number than that. What I do know is this, that it matters, that it matters. As a self, uh, just tell you right now, I, I professed to follow Christ since I was 16 years old. And in my adult life, I didn't become a generous giver until about four years ago. And that kind of hurts to say on stage. I had a very large portion of my adult life where we gave, but not, not in a generous way, I would argue, for my wife and I. It didn't hurt. We gave, but it was because we had it to give quote-unquote. It was kind of the extra. It wasn't the first fruit. I didn't give and just trust. I gave if we have. Does that make sense? Um, now, I have this group of, of guys that I, that I meet with. Um, I won't tell you what we call ourselves, but we know everything about each other's finances. Everything. And it wasn't until that started happening that I was challenged in this area of my walk. <laughs> Um, but this Deuteronomy 14, 23, doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. I will tell you, I've experienced it myself uh, in the way that God has interacted with my wife and I and our finances over the last handful of years as we've chosen to change the way that we give. Where are you supposed to give? Malachi 3.10 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of the heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. <laughs> uh, it's a challenge. It's the only place in Scripture where God says, test me in this, by the way. Um, try it. I dare you, he says. Why or what? First fruits. Why? Because it will teach you to fear the Lord. Where are you supposed to give? To the temple, to the church. When? 1 Corinthians 16, 22, on the first day of each week, set aside a portion. Now, again, I don't want to get too legalistic in this. 
because giving is important. What day you do it of the week, how you choose to do it, and all that kind of stuff, uh, I'm not going to hone in on. But I will tell you this, that the money that you have was not all intended to stay with you. And until you start to give some of it away, you won't experience the true freedom of what God has for you in your life. I believe that wholeheartedly because I've lived it. I've lived it. And I'm also not saying that everything that you give has to be to the church that you attend. We all have other things in God's kingdom that we care about, that we love, and that we're passionate about, right? I'm just encouraging you to give something. And we've all heard the saying, give until it hurts. (laughs) That is my own litmus test personally, I'll just tell you, for knowing if I'm trusting God with my money. It's I give until it hurts. As a practical advice, start somewhere. Do something. Find something that you care about, whether it's this church here or somewhere, and just start to give. Give until it hurts a little bit and see that God doesn't show up. It's crazy. In fact, it says this in 2 Corinthians. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or out of a response to pressure. So what I'm saying on stage, if you're doing it out of pressure, don't do it, (laughs) okay? For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will give generously and provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over. So don't give because somebody like me stands on stage, and then you just kind of feel bad. And so because you feel bad, you do it. Because in all things in life, if you're acting out of that purpose, where you're just like, ah, I feel bad, and I don't want this other person to, you know, you're... Eventually, you start resenting people, right? If you're constantly doing things because you feel bad for other people, and so you're trying to help them, that leads to resentment. So that's what, he, that's what Paul's saying here in Corinthians, is don't do that. Don't do that. Give cheerfully with a smile on your face and understand that this is what I'm called to do. It's not mine anyway. That's like, if I'm not going to be a giver, that's like the person borrows me the boat. It's not my boat. And then they go, hey, I know you chose, I was going to be gone all summer, but we decided to come back in town for a week in the middle of summer because my kids are around and we want to take them on the boat. I'm going to come grab it and I'll give it back to you once we leave. And I'm like, nope, you gave it to me. I know it's not mine, but you gave it to me and I'm not going to give it back at all, ever. Start somewhere. Where I started when I decided that we were going to change this was I started giving online. That's just what I did. Because it was more practical and easier for me to remember uh, and set up kind of an automatic giving online so that I didn't forget. The third thing, I'm glad that's over, by the way. I was really nervous to talk about giving because it's just kind of a sensitive subject. So we're moving on, okay? Give uh, because God is the source, or not give. God is the source. Give, that's the second one. The third one is save. The Bible actually talks about saving money. It really does. It talks about it a lot, actually. Uh, Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise man saves. Fools spend whatever they get. Fools (laughs) spend whatever they get. Uh, Saving is important. You should, practically speaking, we all know. This all makes sense. I'm not telling you anything that you don't understand. It would be nice for all of us to have savings. And I know that it's harder for some people in here to save money than it is others. But whether money is tight, you know, I've spent the better part of the last 15, 16 years of my life working in finance. And I've Worked on both sides with wealthy people, and I've spent time at an inner city church for four or five years. I taught a ministry to low-income families that were one paycheck from disaster, living kind of 
you know, beyond their means, you know, people that were on the verge of homelessness. I've been on every side of the financial spectrum. And I told the people that were paycheck to paycheck the same thing I've talked to people that have way more than they need, and that is you have to save something. Start somewhere. Do something. Solomon says in Proverbs that the fool spends whatever they get. This is an American thing, by the way. You know, in America, when in 08, 09, the, the, the market collapsed, right? We had the housing crisis. Prior to that, the average American was spending 103 point something percent of what they made. Now, don't you hate it when athletes go, I gave 110 percent? You're like, that's not a thing. You can't give 100, you, you have 100 percent to give. But we can spend more than 100 percent. Why? Because they'll give us credit, right? And it actually has a really positive sound to it. Credit. Oh, it's like, oh, it's a wonderful thing. I got credit. And then your credit card makes you feel awesome because they raise your line because you're such a good creditor, right? We don't do well with savings. There's a lot of other cultures outside of America that the average savings rate of the people in those cultures is over 25%. Here, we're back to, by the way, 0809, 103 some odd percent, collapse, people start, oh shoot, they start saving a little bit of money again, now all of a sudden here we are 12 years later and we're back. The average American is spending more than 100% of what they make. Proverbs 24 says, develop your business before you buy a home. Basically, <laughs> be smart with your money and build what you need from a savings perspective before you go out and buy a home and buy a new car and do all these things. Be but this is very practical advice from Solomon, right? Do these practical things first. Ecclesiastes, also written by Solomon, <laughs> uh, 11.2 says, But divide your investments among many places, for you do not know what the risks might lie ahead. In other words, diversify. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Here you thought your financial advisor was giving you worldly advice. He's not. It's from Scripture. <laughs> You're supposed to diversify. Don't put everything in one spot. Proverbs 13, this one uh, I think will hit us. Money that comes easy disappears quickly. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. By the way, I think these are uh, NIV translations, and I'm reading out of NLT, so if you're wondering what in the world's going on, that's, I should have probably told you that up front, but um, I actually switched my Bible from an NIV Bible to an NLT just for a little bit of a change of pace here recently, and so that's why you're getting what you're getting, but... Money comes easy and it disappears quickly. It's like the whole windfall money versus earned money. You guys know about the whole lottery statistics, right? That the vast majority of people that win the lottery are broken five years, filing bankruptcy, because it's windfall money. We didn't have to earn it. And windfall money is spent far different than earned money is. It can go very, very quickly. Practical advice. Save something. I don't care what it is. If it's 10 bucks a week, if it's hundred bucks a month. I don't care what you save. Just start to save. If you're the person that has a lot of debt, doesn't mean you shouldn't be saving. hundred percent of what you have shouldn't go to your debt. Why? Because if then the next time something happens, the transmission goes out in your car, um, something happens with, you know, your kid's school comes calling and they want another $500 for something. Um, that's a personal problem I feel like I have. Anybody else have kids? <laughs> this stuff's gotten expensive, hasn't it? Holy moly. Um, Sports is like a second mortgage, I found out these days. Uh, you'll ne if you don't save anything, you're always going to have to go back to the line of credit. You're never going to get out of that situation where you're having to go into debt. 
you have to have a savings built and you have to feel the pain of that as well. You should pay God first, pay yourself and seen. Okay. I don't know what to do with that. Um, I know I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, pay God first, pay yourself second. Okay? Pay God first, pay yourself second. Save something. Practically, let me give you an example because I'm in the world of finance and so maybe this is way too numbers-based, but let's just, don't take the numbers, okay? Take the concept. But I wanted to use round numbers because it would make this simple. Let's say you have three different people and they're going to save $1,000 a month for 10 years and stop, okay? 1000 bucks a month for 10 years and stop. And they're going to spend that money when they're 65 years old. So you do it from 25 to 35, or from 35 to 45, or from 45 to 55. Okay, 1,000 bucks a month for 10 years and stop. All those people are gonna invest, they're gonna diversify, because that's what the Bible tells them to do, and they're gonna earn 7%. Everything is equal, it's just about when they saved it. Okay, 1,000 bucks a month, it's 12 grand a year for 10 years, 120 grand in total, 25 to 35. If you did it from 45 to 55, and then had a, that pile at 65, you have $373,000 and some change. 373. If you do it from 35 to 45, 10 years sooner, and then stopped, you have $734,000. 373 if you did it from 45 to 55, 734 if you do it 10 years sooner. If you do it from 25 to 35, $1.45 million. Seems to make sense, the sooner the better, right? I talk to kids about this stuff all the time when we're talking about money. The best thing you can do is something and do it today, not tomorrow, right? The Bible tells us to invest and be smart with our money, the parable of the talents, okay? I, I can't get into every <laughs> verse that, I already have probably way too many scripture references for this today, but the parable of the talents talks about this, that we're not supposed to just sit on what we have, right? We're supposed to be smart and wise with it. Last piece of practical advice when it comes to savings. As you build up savings, you should have three to six months of whatever it costs you to live in cash somewhere. No matter where that is. Why? Because it incorporates your job. Most people in here, if you have a W-2 job, you have insurance that says if you have to go out of work, they will start to pay you after about three months. Disability, they call it, right? Sometimes it's six months depending on your job. And so when it gets really, really bad. You basically have to fend for yourself for a handful of months, and then they're going to kick in and they're going to start to help you. If you're self-employed, you have to pick up this type of insurance on your own. But when you hear financial people say you should have three to six months of savings, it's all wrapped around the insurances that people have through their employment. And so having cash on hand for the uh-ohs, because life happens. It always happens to us, right? We know this. And so we've got to be prepared for it. So that's the practical advice. Number four, keeping records, which is a... <laughs> I chose not to use the word budgeting because that's like a cuss word to people. But that's really what it is, isn't it? Keeping records. Proverbs 21.5 says, plan carefully. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Proverbs 27 says, know the state of your flocks. Know what you have, right? Know what you have financially and put your heart into caring for that. For riches don't last forever, and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. Pay attention to what you have. Proverbs 23, in the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. 
Oh, I love that one. Just, anybody ever felt that before? Money comes in, you look at the statement at the end of the month, and you're like, where did it go? Where did, how did it possibly all disappear? How do we have no money left? Am I the only one that feels that way sometimes? I'm it. Where did it go? It's, but if you're not budgeting and you're not keeping record of what you're doing, that's exactly how you're going to feel all the time. The Bible tells you not to do that. <laughs> the Bible tells you to keep record of it. Since college, because when you're in college, you don't have to work out because your body just works out for you when you're sleeping. But after that point, when your body stops doing that and you start to work out, the fittest that I've ever been when I was counting every calorie I was eating. Because I was keeping track of it. And you know what happens is when you go to the, the fridge at the end of the night and you look at the back of the ice cream carton and you realize half of your day's calories are about what you're ready to put in your bowl, you're like, I don't think that's worth it. But if you don't have that instant feedback... I eat the ice cream. Ask my wife. I stopped counting calories. It's all coming back. Your money's the same way. They, our system has detached us from our money completely. All you got to do is get your phone out, which we all spend too much time on anyway, out of your pocket, put it in front of a little machine that we have no idea, and magically stuff flies around in space and you paid for it. So you have to go to work and earn it. And so you can feel that, right? You can feel the earnings. And we know the pain of that. And so we're monitoring our job relative to what they pay all the time because we can feel that tension. But when it comes to spending, there's no tension. They've removed the tension. You can push one button on Amazon and get something to your door the next day, even if you live in Delano. <laughs> we just made Google Maps like last year. You have to keep a record of it. If you've ever thought, I don't know where our money goes, that's on you. And the Bible tells you not to do that. Romans, Paul says, pay your debt. We don't have time to go into that. Practical, tons of options here, you guys. Uh, if you've never heard of Mint.com, Mint will keep track of everything for you. If you're the type of person that spends on a credit card and pays it off every month, it'll keep track of all of your accounting of your credit card for you. It'll itemize everything for you. It'll show you kind of categories of where you're spending and how you're spending. It's all free. You can link everything you have to Mint. You can use things like QuickBooks. You can do what my wife and I did probably 12 or 13 years ago to kind of get a handle on this. We need to hit the reset button. So you know what we did? We went to the envelope system. Anybody heard of this? You literally make an envelope for every category of spending that you have. You create a budget for it, and at the beginning of the month, you put that much cash in that envelope. And when it's gone, guess what? It's gone. <laughs> now, if you ever want to feel like you're dealing illicit things you're not supposed to be dealing, go to the bank at the beginning of the month and be like, okay, I need 15 20s, 10 10s, a couple 50s, and get the breakdown for your envelope. You get a lot of really weird looks. But it will put you back in touch and it brings the tension back to your finances. But do something, track it. The last one as we close. Number five, enjoy what you have. Be content. God has entrusted you with it, but it does not mean he doesn't want you to enjoy it. The people that borrowed me the boat didn't want me to let that behemoth of a thing sit in my driveway all summer. They wanted me to use it. They did. Ecclesiastes 5, 19, and it is a good thing to receive wealth from God or money, okay? And the, a lot or a little, wherever you're at, it's a good thing. And good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. Wherever you stand today financially, be content. Be content.
This is what scripture has called you to do. Doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to have fun. Doesn't mean that he doesn't want us to enjoy the money that he's given us. He does. He absolutely does. Right? We have to understand it comes from him. We give back to him first. We give back to ourselves second. And then we keep an account of what we're doing. Who would have known that the Bible had a financial plan? You know, I borrowed that boat as we closed. My main focus was how much fun my family could have on that boat. And it gave me one of the stories I'll never forget <laughs> on that water that day, um, that fateful day. Felt like Gilligan. Um, that, that somebody would entrust me with something that was so nice and so expensive and meant some, so much to them. It was kind of a mind-blowing thing to me to the point where I told them no a couple of times because I thought, there's no way they mean that. And then they did. But being entrusted with something, being asked to protect something by somebody else is a daunting thought. Think about it this way as we close. Everything you have is from God and he's asked you to take care of it. (laughs) Your checking account is his. (laughs) Your savings account is his. Your job is a gift from him. If you knew that you had to meet with him every month and reconcile... (laughs) Would that change the way that you do things? If the answer is yes, then maybe we need to change the way that we do things. Because it's not ours. Martin Luther said, there are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and lastly, the conversion of the purse. The Bible has a very clear laid out plan for us when it comes to our finances. Um, And I hope today as we close this series that you understand that God has given you whatever you have financially. He's given it to you a lot or a little, uh, and he wants you to use it for his good, his purposes, his kingdom, but he wants you to enjoy it as well. Um, Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And this is such a, it's, uh, it's a tough topic sometimes, but ultimately we interact with it every single day. And so it's an important topic. And we thank you so much that you didn't leave us down here without the wisdom of what to do with the money that you've entrusted us with. Lord, I just pray as we leave this building today, we leave church today and we go home, uh, that we look at our checking account just a little bit differently. And um, we just look at it that our names that are listed on that account, if it's a joint account with our spouse, that we see your name on that account too. And that we understand that that's yours uh, and that we're just entrusted to spend it in the way that you would have it in our lives, to give in the way that you would have for our lives, to save and all the things, Lord, and keep an account of what we have. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning, and we pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can stay.